Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, nihao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadi, karup, guten tak, jawivi, vakatbang, hafadeh, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan. From the new right-left coast of the genetically mutated McNugget Pharmaceutical Vivisection Prison Killitary Industrial Corporation, in the cheese-covered post-constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy, mocracy, criminocracy, unchallenged by meteocracy, foodborne in the NSA, NRA, CIA, FBI, USA, home of Uncle Salmonella, where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts and the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, sponsored today by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, yoga practitioners, and yes, vegans, get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to the website, healthiq.com slash gvr for details. That's healthiq.com slash gvr, as in Go Vegan Radio. Um, and I apologize for the delay in producing this podcast, but I have been rather consumed by the details of producing what uh, LA Reggae Vegan Fest, what will prove to be the greatest music event ever if you attend, and you can attend. You can buy tickets right now at LAReggaeVeganFest.com, and uh, I will talk more about that in a moment. It will be the mother of all music events, the mother of all festivals, and I'm recording today on Mother's Day. So I maybe uh, should or could remind you that baby mammals are nourished by the milk of their mother. And so, therefore, it must be that your mother is a cow. Um, And no, this is not some speciesist insult. You know, I'm not calling someone, you know, an animal or specific animal as an insult. Uh, as people often do, just so speciesist, so passe, so 20th century uh, to talk in those uh, politically incorrect terms. Um, I mean, you're not really insulting somebody when you call him or her an animal or pig or rat or monkey or cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, in many ways, you are complimenting that person, I must say. But anyway, you know, it's usually meant to be uh, derisive. But uh, no, if I'm saying that, you know, your your mother is a cow, your mother must be a cow, it's uh, merely an observation, an observation of how, uh, how confused your thinking has become. Huh? It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, you... Uh, you have somehow been brainwashed into believing that cows are your mother. Not not just one cow, but many cows, the milk of many cows. You're not being raised by one mother cow, are you? It's just a, just a mixture. So, um, you know, apparently, I don't know 
you know, is is this CIA brainwashing the masses? You know, that cows are your mother. Well, with all due respect, I don't know, cows may be better mothers when you think about it then. They're not um, shopping at Unsafeway for a gallon of human woman breast milk, huh? They they probably know that it uh, would not be the proper nutrition for their little babies to grow to a couple of thousand pounds and to grow horns and a tail and four legs. Uh, you know. So, I mean, I don't know if they... They would, they would know better, wouldn't they? Um, actually, it's probably the, something they just wouldn't even consider. Huh? Uh, and as millions of people around the world claim to be awakening now to all sorts of uh, political and social issues, uh, they discuss them <laughs> with, a, you know, with a milk mustache above their lips. Or, should I say... Pustache, considering how much pus is allowed in bloody cow's milk, uh, not only are you, uh, you know, not getting milk that is anything like what nature intended for your baby to have, for, you know, but uh, you're getting a, a filthy pus-filled bloody urine concoction uh, that often contains uh, tuberculosis and leukemia. Um, and even if it doesn't uh, contain those, you and the kids are consuming what the uh, China study, that uh, large study, that the book called the it's in the book called the China study, um, you are consuming what it says is the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. Uh, later in the program, uh, we'll take note that. Dairy is also the number one saturated fat to which Americans are exposed. The dairy protein, mom, uh, wake up, mom, 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 mom. Um, the dairy protein, casein, the dairy protein is used to glue labels to bottles. Um, so, you know, how much is it gunking up, you know, your, 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 your kids' insides or your insides? I mean... You're an adult and you're drinking a baby food and you're not even and you're drinking baby food of another species. Huh. Then you have the IGF or insulin growth factor in cow's milk. It grows baby cows really fast and grows tumors in humans really fast, too. Um, and on Mother's Day, as you celebrate with the uh, human you call mom or mother, let us remember that the mother whom you use as a mother, um, the cow, uh, never has reason to celebrate. Um, really is no way to treat your mother. Huh? So, uh, rape is never okay. Rape is never okay. Right? Except... When it comes to your milk and cheese and yogurt and butter and ice cream, huh? which all start with rape. The rape of a, a feeling, emotional being, you know, with, with two eyes, a nose, a mouth, feelings, emotions. So, um, dairy starts on 
the rape rack, that's what the dairy industry calls the device upon which the dirty deed is done, and without the rape, uh, there wouldn't be, uh, you know, there wouldn't be the child, you know, without that uh, very unwanted and unwelcome impregnation, there would be no baby cow, there would be no baby cow born, no, uh, no milk produced for, intended for him or her, um, so female babies are then sentenced to uh, rather harsh confinement. It looks like veal crates to me, but you know, that's uh, the start of the life for the for the females who will go through that life cycle, you know, a cycle of life that is rape and birth and kidnap and then rape and birth and kidnap. And then when mama cow can produce no longer... Um, it's a uh, murder for her. So the little newborn male babies never get to know their mother. They are kidnapped just after birth. Um, even in, you know, what is now being sold to us as, you know, the, 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 the good veal, the crate-free veal, the veal with heart. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. Same story. The baby is uh, kidnapped from... Mom, just after birth, they cry for each other. The mother is crying for weeks for her baby. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I scream, you scream. We all scream for ice cream. And, uh, so uh, does mother cow, so does baby cow. Um, yeah, because they, they can't have their mother's milk. Uh, you want it. To contaminate your cereal or your coffee in the morning um, and of course this is no way to treat your mother or anyone's mother um, yeah so when mom can't produce anymore when you know she needs to retire it's you know she's not to the retirement home uh, she becomes a McDonald's hamburger you know? by the way you know it would be nice uh, you know, for uh, for Mother's Day, or, or for actually any day right now, I'm just so disturbed by this. Uh, you know, it would be nice if YouTube wouldn't just stick one of those disgusting McDonald's commercials on the top of its homepage every time I uh, tune in there. Um, have you seen the latest campaign? It just shows uh, a person sitting in a McDonald's... Uh, I guess, slashed food restaurant, uh, speechless, speechless. This is, this is what the commercial is, speechless. Just, uh, you know, a person eating one of McDonald's, uh, cadaver sandwiches, uh, you know, it, it looks to me almost like it's an acting class. It's like acting 101. You have an actor. Okay. So here, here's what you got to do. Uh, eat this burger and, and, you know, show emotion, you know, look, Look! Look delighted. Look! Look like you're really absorbed in in the enjoyment. You know, like, really, like, you know, like you're really contemplating the burger. You know that you're consumed in in all thoughts about the burger. Um, yeah, through all all through facial expression. Are you watching that? Have you seen that commercial? You know, I'm watching these actors uh, to a degree as if. Actually, as if I'm their acting coach, observing that uh, 
pretty much basically these people look like idiots to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But an adult eating a McBurger looks kind of like an idiot to me. I don't know. I mean, it. it I, I see somebody engaged in an in a selfish yet uh, self-destructive idiotic act. Um, so absorbed in, uh, you know, just so absorbed in palate pleasure, you know, concentrating so heavily on the burger, yet totally oblivious to the animal. You know, none of the actors look like they know that they are eating someone, not something. Um, none of the actors know uh, that they are giving themselves heart disease, cancer, diabetes, stroke. Um, or maybe they're just concentrating on the paycheck that they're receiving from McDonald's to be speechless as they're acting. Um, so, uh, you know, watch what happens when, uh, when the actors uh, get stiffed by McDonald's when it says, hey, you didn't have any lines. Hey, you actors here in the speechless commercials, you didn't have any lines in the commercial. You were just an extra. So, you know, forget about your Screen Actors Guild or AFTRA. Uh, you know, here's your $75 for eating a burger. You know, that's, that's your day's work now. Now get out of here. <laughs> uh, that's what I used to get, uh, actually, for a day's work for being an extra. Yes, I... That's uh, part of my sordid past. Um, yes, uh, if you look closely uh, at the movies, let's see, I was in one of them called Gun Crazy and one of them called Man Crazy. Do we see a pattern developing here in my, in my movie career? Let's see, Drew Barrymore was in one of them, Jack Nicholson in the other. In Gun Crazy, we kept rehearsing um, with me saying a line, believe it or not, I was a cop in the movie. Um, I drove a police car with the party lights on and I shot a gun, uh, which in itself, the image uh, is probably a good argument for gun control. Just that. Uh, and how loud it is to shoot a gun. I, you know, it's like, uh, yes, take the, take the earplugs next time, Bobby. Um, but isn't that weird typecasting anyway? I was a cop uh, in a movie. I think it was just because I was the one who fit into the uh, police uniform. So, you, you're the cop. So, um, you know, during rehearsal, uh, rehearsal after rehearsal there, um, I was saying, okay, all right, everybody, move back, move back, nothing to see here, move back. Then on the last take, they tell me... Uh, Okay, you know, do exactly what you're doing, but uh, you know, just do it. Do it speechless this time. Do it speechless. And uh, you know, if you deliver a line in a movie that uh, you know that then qualifies you for a Screen Actors Guild card, a SAG card. At least it, it did back then. I don't know if anything's changed, and. Uh, so, you know, that, that speechless take that we did robbed me of that big movie career. I so, I so resent right now that. And uh, what, what, what could have been had I just delivered that line? All right, everybody, move back. Move, nothing to see here. Uh, I would have got my, my SAG card. Who knows? Who knows what stardom, 
You know, I, I probably would have had a future marriage to Jennifer Aniston had they not made me do it speechless. Oh, well. So then I didn't get the SAG card. I accepted a job as program director of Jazzy 100 and left Hollywood and moved back east to Washington, D.C. Ah, so I don't know. So, uh, by the way, for all I know, the people uh, in those speechless McDonald's commercials could all be big stars. I mean, I really don't know what actors or actresses are big stars these days. I don't seem to be paying attention. Um, so, I don't know. I should, though, if they are actors, I should warn them, um, you know, th those actors in the speechless commercials, that they, they really should think twice about uh, taking uh, hazardous work in the future. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, I shot that gun. It was so loud. I didn't realize, like, yes, put in the earphones. Well, you, you ate those burgers, right? So, um, okay, so think twice about taking a hazardous uh, job in the future, you know? And you know what else? A stroke can leave you speechless. A hazardous job like uh, you took there for McDonald's? Speechless? Yes, a stroke can leave you speechless too, for real. And if it were reality TV, those actors should have spat, spitted? Uh, the, uh, the the flesh sandwich uh, from their mouths, you know, upon first bite, you know. Uh, they weren't being distracted by idle chatter with friends at, at the table there. They were alone. They were contemplating every chew. If they were really thinking, they would spit it out and run. You know, run, run, run for your life. Run, run to a vegan restaurant. Run, run to Vegetarian House in San Jose at 520 East Santa Clara Street. Get a burger there. That is the most delicious burger, by the way, if, if you're in the Bay Area, uh, Northern California. 520 East Santa Clara Street, Vegetarian House, 100% vegan restaurant, 100% organic. The food is so delicious. Why would anybody go to McDonald's in this day and age? You know, if 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 you were, <laughs> if 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 they um, did a video of somebody sitting at Vegetarian House, you know, a speechless commercial just sitting in Vegetarian House. I mean, could you imagine what <laughs> what that would be? You know, like the enjoyment would be real. It wouldn't be acting like, ugh, you know, ugh. It wouldn't be like disgust. I have to turn disgust into pleasure on my face. You know, it would be like. Wow, this is like the most delicious food I've ever had. And, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not hurting any animals by eating this delicious burger here at Vegetarian House. And, oh, and I'm, I'm saving the environment because animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change and wastes natural resources. Um, and, uh, oh, for my health, this is so wonderful. I, I, I probably won't be speechless from a stroke in the future by eating this burger here at Vegetarian House. So, um, by, by the way, Vegetarian House uh, caters, too. Go to VegetarianHouse.us. Check out the menu. It looks nothing like the McDonald's menu of death. You know, like, join, join us in life, please, here. You know, it's like such a, a culture of death, you know. It's like we, we, everybody's complaining about, oh, our enemies, you know, the, 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 the terrorists around the world are saying, like, death to Americans, death to America. 
Uh, well, when you actually translate that from the Arabic, it, it means Americans, just keep eating what you're eating. Just keep eating what you're eating, okay? Or you can wake up. Mom, mom, wake up, wake up. Uh, okay, let, let's set the alarm again to wake you up. Just, just one more time. Now, I don't know if there was bacon on the burger in the speechless in the speechless as a stroke commercial for McDonald's. But mom, every mom wants to be a good mother. Every good mom cares about her children. This is like parenting basics, right? Parenting 101 today on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Every mom wants to be a good mom. Every good mom cares about her children. That goes for hens and baby chicks, too. That goes for sows and the baby pigs. And it goes for cows and their babies. Now, they would never do anything to hurt their children. Now, do you think a mother cow, pig, or chicken would deliberately do something to inflict a fatal disease on their children? On her children, if I'm doing the, yeah, pronouns right, singular. Okay, so the World Health Organization has classified processed meats as a class one carcinogen, meaning you get cancer by eating bacon, hot dogs, sausages, ham, salami, deli meats, etc. Google processed meats. Um... And it's a definitive statement. Processed meats cause cancer in humans. Mom, mom, bacon, ham, hot dogs, sausages, salami, deli meats. Mom. Um, okay, and uh, so so there's that. Okay, so you get you get your cancer from your processed meats. And by the way, the World Health Organization talked about other meat too saying uh it, it it talked about red meat for some reason it says it probably causes cancer you want to take that risk with all, all the other meats oh they probably cause cancer here let's give them to the kids for dinner um and in the china study uh it showed the uh, bovine milk protein to be the number one carcinogen to which americans are exposed Mom, happy Mother's Day. So, okay, so coming up uh, on today's show, uh, do vegans have special emotional and psychological challenges living in a non-vegan world? Well, I think that this program so far pretty much answers that question, right? But let's hear what a real psychologist <laughs> has to say about it. Coming up on today's show... Claire Mann, the author of Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. Coming up today, coming up soon, coming up next on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Okay, have I got you stressed and depressed enough yet? Okay, well, I'm no psychologist, but I do recommend uh, taking... Uh, at least three hours of listening to Radio Bobby each day. That's RadioBobby.com. Uh, the music on Radio Bobby works for me. And uh, 
you know. But really, I mean, you know, a couple of hours of radio, Bobby, and you you wouldn't recognize me. I'm I'm so happy. I'm I'm a, I'm a happy vegan functioning in a non-vegan world, or at least as happy as can be. Um, and uh, you know what else makes me pretty happy? I was now I'm thinking about that that uh, Jolly Burger at Vegetarian House. Vegan food really makes me happy. Great vegan food. Um, and uh, ah, well, LA Reggae Vegan Fest will include great vegan food too. Just wanted to let you know uh, that tickets just went on sale for LA Reggae Vegan Fest Sunday, October 7th in Woodley Park in Van Nuys. Go to LA Reggae Vegan Fest.com. Early bird discount tickets just went on sale. Check out the schedule. A kids program with Jamaica Bob at 10.30 in the morning on the main stage. Then on the main stage, followed by just an amazingly awesome lineup of reggae headliners. You're not going to believe the music all day long. The Simpkin Project. Um... All the way from Orange County, then Lamore and the Mystic Band featuring General Ja Mikey coming all the way from Pasadena, and Sister Carol coming all the way from New York for LA Reggae Vegan Fest, then Bushman, Bushman coming all the way from Jamaica for LA Reggae Vegan Fest, and then uh, after Bushman, Maccabee. Maccabee is coming all the way from the UK just to be at LA Reggae Vegan Fest. I know you're saying, oh, but I don't know, taking the 405 for, you know, 15 minutes could be traffic. On the 101, you know, 20 minutes. Maccabee's coming from the UK for this great celebration. Then um, after Maccabee, it will be Glenn Washington. He will be coming from Florida. So, um, wherever you are, make plans. Come to this great event. All of these great reggae artists in one day. All for just $40 for a limited time only. uh, Which includes ticket service fees and parking. So, $40 ticket includes parking. Did you hear that lineup, by the way? Did, did, Did you hear the lineup of reggae superstars? Um, just in case you didn't, okay, Jamaica Bob, The Simpkin Project, Lamore and the Mystic Band featuring General John Mikey, Sister Carol, Bushman, Maccabee, Glenn Washington. Need I say more other than go to LAReggaeVeganFest.com and click on tickets, all for just $40. And that's not all. Speakers include Professor Gary Francione, Antenna Roba, MD, our mighty May, doctor of veterinary medicine. So, oh, so uh, Dr. Roba, uh, the uh, president of the International Fund for Africa. Um, he, from He's from Ethiopia. Our mighty May, doctor of veterinary medicine, will be talking about vegan dogs and cats. 
and the campaign to get vegan food in L.A. shelters. Eric Weissman, founder of Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food, will be there, will be speaking. We have Dali Vyas Huja, uh, who will be talking about vegan ahimsa and dairy. Um, it's uh, just uh, an amazing day planned. Anud Shah speaking. Abiose will be We'll have, we'll have a poetic moment with Abiose. He brought the house down at the um, World Vegan Summit and Expo. This, this is an incredible day. We are creating a vegan world at Woodley Park, Sunday, October 7th. So, okay, LAReggaeVeganFest.com. Um, and you'll also find vendor information there. We have vendors already signing up. We have people signing up to be premium sponsors. Um, so check out all that information at LAReggaeVeganFest.com. Okay, Claire Mann coming up next, and please support our work with a tax-deductible donation at GoVeganRadio.com. Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on Facebook Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden and Twitter at GoVeganRadio and for your 24-7 musical entertainment it's RadioBobby.com and for your entertainment on Sunday October 7th in the Los Angeles area LAReggaeVeganFest.com it will be a magical day out there at Woodley Park we promise you um, okay, so yeah, it's a great when vegans can get together and blow off some steam and feel good, right? So uh, we'll be doing that on Sunday, October 7th. And now uh, my guest is Claire Mann, who is a vegan psychologist, and uh, we, we need one, we do, a uh, vegan psychologist and a communications trainer and a best-selling author and she has a new book now called Vistopia the anguish of being vegan in a non-vegan world which would of course sound like the story of my life or perhaps any vegan who's in it for the animals Claire you know (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Bob um the anguish and I think that's a very apt word for living in a a world that uh doesn't seem to fit us. We feel we're on another planet, hey? Yes, I feel like I'm in an alien. I'm, you know, a stranger in a strange land or an alien on on a strange planet. Uh, I have that feeling uh, right now, yes. actually, right now. So, um, so, <laughs> so it, it's an interesting subject, and it uh, it goes to uh, many places of interest to me. Now, I would not have imagined that in opening the book I would find myself um, confronted with everything from Edward Snowden to uh, to talk talk of cover-ups or covers-up and conspiracy theorists. Now it really is sounding like the story of my life. So... uh... 
So tell us how do we how do we start a book? You know, a, a psychological perspective on on veganism. How how does it and why does it start with Edward Snowden? <laughs> well, I think so many vegans find it difficult, um, obviously, when they become vegan, is talking to other people about the extent and the complexity of the problem. So they hear people say, well, you're always fussy about it. You're always worried about animals, didn't you? And then the person glazes over because, yes, of course, the, um, the ubiquitous cruelty towards animals is harrowing to find out about. But as you know, um, Bob, once your eyes are opened, you say, well, what else don't I know? So starting with something like um, Edward Snow, was my attempt in the first chapter, and it goes into other things, as you know, in that first one, is to say, well, you know, where else are we seeking the truth? We never quite find it. We have a hunch, and if we start talking to people about it, they say we're conspiracy theorists. So the attempt is to get people to go down that rabbit sort of hole a little bit deeper and actually start to say that not everything we hear about or read about is true, and let's have a look at it. Right. Well, I think we're in a bit of the age of, of truther, people seeking truth and maybe not trusting the media or, or you know, the traditional sources of, of information. So um, I I was very happy that you opened with Edward Snowden and, and the concept that, uh, well, some people look at him and say he's he's a threat to national security and you know he's a traitor but other people look at him as as a whistleblower you know so uh, that that was yes uh you know and in a sense um we vegans are the whistleblowers aren't we i mean we're we're d discovering information that people don't have we're revealing it and people are thinking you traitor! You traitor! Yeah, when um, I, I was working at a radio station in Seattle some years ago and explaining my position to the woman who was uh, on air in the evenings there, and she said, "So basically, you're against everything that's American, right?" Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, and well, I hadn't thought of it that way because I thought, well, I'm for the health of American children, or you know, the world's mm -hmm. children, or I'm, sure. I'm for the health of the environment, you know, but. Um, how ingrained uh, is our thinking in society to where, yeah. you know, it, it would be looked at uh, that way? Yeah. Well, I think even before you put the hat of sort of veganism on, um, most people follow. They go along with like a trance-like collusion with, well, this is how the world should be. And when we hear words like I should, I ought, I must, this is some, it's a really a, a set of constructs in the cultural context. And people actually see the world as an objective reality. We're born into it. We do this in this very linear way. And I'm being very judgmental across the board, but um, I think we only have to look around if everyone's doing all the same thing, really. Um, so I think when you add veganism on the top of it and then you uncover something that affects everybody probably three times a day and more from the moment they clean their teeth to the moment they have the coffee to they go to bed, um, you're saying, well, if we didn't know about that, what else don't we know? We can never laugh at aliens again because if we didn't know about 156 billion animals um, being used a year. What else don't we know? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, where where do we get the truth and what is the truth and who's making up the truth you know what is the truth indeed and um, so. false flags is um i think you'll see a bit you've obviously seen a little bit of that in the stage if, uh, right right is the exactly. deliberate attempt to pull the wall over people's eyes here you go there's another animal analogy we can almost not get rid of them mm -hmm. <laughs> right 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 but i mean yeah people here are questioning everything from 
9-11 on, you know, who killed JFK? And But they're not quite yet questioning who's on our plate, you know, with the, uh, uh, with, with the enthusiasm that other, you know, truth is sought to, to a degree. Yes. Um, now, I, I thought it was interesting that you, um, a number of areas of the book, uh, which uh, I found interesting, including you were talking about the power of social conditioning. And I thought it was interesting to look at the the different eras that you discuss, you know, to uh, yes. what what brings us to to where we are, and I I found that I found that interesting. So you want to talk a little bit about? Mm. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, we never sort of learn anything, I guess, in a, a, a vacuum, do we? But there was um, a couple of colleagues of mine um, down in Melbourne who wrote a wonderful book called The Success Zone. And they really, they're bringing neuroscience into what we know as common sense. I always say science catches up with common sense. And, but they talk about two, three different eras across the, the last hundred years plus sort of thing, when there's been such broad changes. And then if we're born at a certain time in our era sort of thing, we are subject to certain ways of thinking without even knowing it. For instance, my father's 94 years old, so he's a veteran, has a very different view of the world in terms of you know, personal choice, conformity, saving hard, putting things away for a rainy day. And when you meet someone of 18, of course, they're a completely different view of the world. Um, you know, things like gay marriage, my father is, you know, can't even get his head around that. But the, those eras that my colleagues in Brelburn talk about is the era of obedience, the era of award, and the era of respect. So the era of obedience was really spare the rod and spoil the child. And we're really talking sort of pre, sort of last you know, century's war in many ways. And it was, if you don't do the right thing, if you misbehave, we'll punish you. So children at school were caned, for instance. I can even remember it myself. Um, in a workplace situation, people get fired or they you know, have warnings and things. That's the first port of call. That sort of kind of changed after the Second World War. And we have what was called the era of award. So if you do the right thing, you'll get a gold star. If you save hard, you'll be able to have things in the future. And work hard in your job, you'll get a promotion. And it's a very different sort of, it's a carrot and not a stick, of course. Now, if people are born in those different eras, they have a different view of authority, of questioning the process, of collaboration. Um, in the era of the veteran, for instance, obedience, people revered the doctor, the, the high court judge, the lawyer, because they, the teacher, because they were in authority. The era of rewards says, well, I have a little bit more interaction with that. But where we look in ourselves really in the last ooh, 15, 20 years, perhaps a little less than that, is the era of respect. And that's really getting people to, to question. It, it's not so much the person's in authority, therefore they should be revered or responded to because of position. It's you respect me and I respect you. So the 18-year-old goes to see the psychologist, for instance, and says, well, I've done a bit of work on you. I see where you've spoken, what you've written about. Why should I come and see you? Now, that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. Some would have assumed, uh, rightly or wrongly, that that person had a, had a handle on what was going on. And I see it as a very positive thing is there's this more co potential for collaboration to say, well, I'm just not going to take it on face value that this is the truth. I need you to work with me to prove to me and give me some evidence as to why should I take your word for things. So the key thing is, Bob, is if people, are, when they're born at different times in their history, 
things like technology has changed um our ability to see what's going on around the world we're not just fed something through the media we have social media um things have changed people have the birth control pill our financial markets have changed all sorts of things that influence so this affects how people see the world and their ability to question things so interesting context so so uh, then is this an era where people are questioning authority or or not i mean i i grew up in the era of the uh, vietnam war so we questioned yeah. authority we questioned militarism yeah. questioned getting killed and killing somebody you know we against whom we harbored no ill will so yes um so we i felt that was a time of of, of questioning authority, which, uh, you know, maybe that's why I'm a vegan. Maybe I just kept on questioning <laughs> as I went along because I was a yes. peace activist before I was, uh, was a vegan. So, um, now, um, where are we, um, in terms of questioning authority or is that the, that the problem that we're still mm. in the, in, in obedience, right? This is what you eat, shut up and eat, you know, you know, what the, the yes. dead animal on your plate or, uh, or is this the mm. era, the era of reward? Like you know, yes. just don't say anything about you know. I mean, I, when I went to uh, on a job interview to to Washington D.C. Uh, to work at a radio station there, I got picked up at the airport, and the general manager said, "We're going to Blackie's House of Beef." <laughs> so oh, <dear. laughs> you know, so uh, the reward. How do I get this job and still you know? talk about mm. how the broccoli is cooked there or whatever but uh you know <laughs> yes. so um I, it feels like vegans are the ones who might be questioning authority now i don't know well i think you're, you're probably absolutely right actually we're the first responders in many ways but it's if you look at um say you were born during the around the time of vietnam war and things is people when we're so young of course we're influenced or we're developing that sense of who we are and our identity so it's whilst these eras are changing it's when one is predominantly born it seems or growing up in is influenced you know a young person asking these questions so you know the person born back in the like my father is a veteran you know he's not there texting on mobile phone you know but i think there's technology is a huge thing these days and consumerism has become the new god so whilst we would hopefully applaud that people will be questioning more i think we have some real ills the downside of technology where people are having less interaction with other people they're relinquishing responsibility for having conversations that matter and they're doing things online the potential upside of course is we can galvanize people from around the world very quickly so i think that's a little bit of a, a challenge there i think we're seeing vegans are questioning something that is so ubiquitous to everyone i mean as you know bob you can't be a little you can't be half pregnant if someone you know, says, well, I don't want to hurt animals, I don't want to trash the environment or people, but they're not vegan. Their non-action, of course, is contributing to that, even if they espouse they don't want to do that. I can't think of other things that actually fit into that category. So, Bob, if, you know, I'm a Muslim and you're a Christian, we could sit down and talk about the relative merits and what each of us is missing out on if we don't adopt that belief system. And then we say, well, over time, you'll hopefully come into the light and I'll be able to share it with you. Should we go for lunch? It's not a problem. If we share something about veganism, of course, and the person doesn't become vegan, they either don't really get it, or even worse, if they get it and they don't want to change, well, we might even question if they're a psychopath. Well, we, um, this is, you know, I mean, 
the 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 vegan value i mean is just so um so strong so so moving so you know i mean you know i think that uh, in in the start of your book uh Vistopia, you're uh trying to um inform people of the depth of what what it is to be vegan and and how we uh how we suffer and the anguish that we do have you know in 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 everyday life every every time i go to the supermarket um i i feel like i'm uh living in a horror uh not movie reality show i guess you know so absolutely um yes. so um now you um now your pract in your practice you see vegans who um have suffered um the anguish of living uh, you know being a stranger in a strange land or a visitor uh, to an alien planet i mean i i i have to have sympathy for for people in a sense that you know um it's it's very noble and courageous to be vegan but there are many problems that do come along with it and that, you know sometimes i think well you know, I've coped fairly well, although maybe I haven't. Maybe I not should. Maybe I shouldn't really. No, no examine. No self-examination here from the psychologist. But um, so um, you know. But how how do people cope? You know, and and what are some of the symptoms of of being vegan? I mean, here here you are. You're doing the right thing. You know, you're 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 doing what's moral and right and uh, heroic and noble. And you have to suffer for it, you know, every turn. How, you know, and and what is that suffering? What what are you seeing? But if you are, uh, because you, and and a lot of vegans come to see you. I think a lot of vegans don't respect doctors, or possibly not, don't respect psychologists who aren't vegan. So they would like to actually see a vegan doctor or a vegan psychologist. So I take it that uh, you see a number of vegans because. You're vegan too, and you probably have suffered some of the same anguish, and so have I, and I'm I'm suffering it right yeah. now. So, yeah. Yes. Well, it's it very funny to add to what you've just said at the end before I look at the symptoms. Um, you know, I've worked as a psychologist probably nearly 30 years, and you know, I don't have to suffer exactly what they've been through to be able to empathise. I don't need to know what it's like to be tortured or to have to go through a divorce or be abused in any in a physical sense, for instance. Um, but you know, as a human being and, and my own training, I'm able to come alongside that person and, and help them navigate. Um, everything I write in this book, you know, I am suffering from dystopia. I have felt depressed, anguished, suicidal. I uh, felt misanthropy and hated the human race. Um, I go through complicated grief when I look at the what's happening in the world and the blind, the trance-like collusion with what's going on. And so it's rare for a psychologist to feel exactly the same, I would say, collectively, what they see in so many people that have presented to me. But typically, um, when people's eyes are opened, and, and I think it's fair to say a lot of people call themselves vegan, but let's just highlight what that is because someone on a plant-based diet is unlikely to feel alienated for being a fussy eater it's really when someone as you know bob becomes aware of the ubiquitous cruelty towards animals and then the not the effects on people and planet of course so it's really a philosophy of the non-use and exploitation of animals so when someone knows finds out what happens in the slaughterhouse or in live exports from testing I think the horror is so great, the the grief, the anger, the rage, the 
the greed for speciesism. There's, they look at their own race and their own species and say, how is this possible? This, and then they start to talk to people and then feel lonely and alienated, hopeless. Um, see a lot of post-traumatic sort of stress disorder symptoms, people having flashbacks, particularly if they've looked at things, um, a, a particular perpetration of cruelty onto animals. All of this is going on, but they think, I just have to tell people. As soon as I show my mom, my dad, my partner, and they all, there comes a secondary anguish. This is where the complicated grief comes because people don't immediately become vegan. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that gets worse. How can this person I love or care for, I thought they were pretty decent, you know, not get this? So, so uh, you're saying yeah. a complicated grief is, is both the grief over the animals and then the grief over the people then who don't get it. And then you. Absolutely. And the anger and the alienation of, you know, you think, gosh, my parents are pretty reasonable people, but they're not, but they refuse to see something. So they obviously know something's going on. And until they see it, they won't be able to make any emotional connection with it. Um, but these sort of comments that come back to the vegan of, you know, well, it's my choice or the government would never allow it or animals were put on the planet for us. There's this existential crisis of what it means to be in the world is, wow, I was jogging along here for 25, 30 years and I thought my family was pretty okay. And how can they be so selfish? Um, until this huge loneliness. So, so then it's uh, everything your mother taught you is wrong. Uh, everything you're Everything you're saying is 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 un-American, right? I mean, it's like you know, absolutely, it's like... And definitely un-Australian. That's right. What about a, what or un-Australian or and any any society? Everybody says, "Oh, our culture is meat-eating." Well, every society seems to be. You know, it's like uh, yeah. too 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 many societies are, uh, you know, just. Uh, I I have a theory as to why people resist this so much because you think, well, you know, if someone comes home and says, oh, look, I'm a born-again Christian, the person doesn't immediately recoil, the average person, and say, well, I'm not going to become one. They, you know, ask questions. They say, well, it's your choice, and we get on with life. But there's people who just sometimes even have to say I'm a vegan, well, don't expect me to be one. That's the immediate response. It's immediate defense system. But tell me what you think about this, Bob, because I think the majority of people – don't relinquish that they have choice, even have choice to be, do, and have what they want in their lives. Um, they work for 45 years, usually in jobs they don't like. Let's take the average person. I know I'm generalizing. Work for 45 years in a job, doing a job they don't like to accumulate a big pile of money to buy a block of concrete called a house, a block of tin called a car. And they do that in a very incremental way. Now, of course, everyone has to look after themselves and put a roof over their head, I guess. But there is that sort of increasing that the bar gets raised. So people are even doing working harder. And now they're going to buy their children apartments and things. Again, that social influence. They go through that. And very few people question it. And if they do, they're seen as, you know, oh, you'll come back to the fold later. Have your bit of time out. Oh, you're a non, you can't commit to relationships. So there's enormous social pressure to deny that actually we have much greater choice. You know, when the minimalist comes along and says, you don't need to have all that money to do this, therefore maybe you don't need to do that job for 20, 45 years, they're sort of laughed at and, you know, you'll regret it later. Where's your safety and responsibility? And I think most people feel comfortable that majority of people do the same thing. Now, suddenly, every day, though, roughly, unless they've got an overbearing partner or they're a doctor following their health, they can eat exactly what they like three times a day. Nobody's going to question it. And then suddenly the vegan comes along and says, well, actually, you know, you can't do that. And I think at some unconscious visceral level, 
there is a reminder that they are denying other areas of choice in their life. So that's why I think it presses a button. I don't know your views on that. Oh, well, um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it so varies. I recently had uh, a farmer on the show who um, oh, eventually uh, was, was raising, he, he considered humane, humanely, he was raising humanely, humanely raising pigs um, and then eventually became vegan. Uh, but he said that he just the thought was like you always have to eat meat I mean since you have to eat it anyway you might as, might as well try to raise humane meat you know I mean I, I think that I, don't, I really don't think we think we have a choice you know and and yes. uh, mm -hmm. um, it, it, I was the first you know so-called vegetarian I ever knew in back in college um, you know I, I was cooking a chicken one Friday night and saw the body and just couldn't participate yeah. in the violence and killing anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I continued to eat eggs and dairy until, you know. Then the, I I found the truth. You know, thir thirteen yes. years later, I, I I called myself a vegetarian, but really wasn't doing anything. I wasn't accomplishing what I thought I was accomplishing yes. until I found <laughs> out about dairy and eggs. Um, mm -hmm. So um, a lot of this has to do with, I think, as you say, uncovering the the truth, and you know that it's hard to swallow the truth when it's uh, the opposite of everything you've always heard and known and you know mm. been indoctrinated into you know from every family gathering to you know i mean in in public school you know in, in elementary school i was handed cow's milk and cookies every day so that's you know, right it's just all mm. also normalized uh, you know yes. so until mm. um until you know then you, you see the truth and like you say i think it it's like it's a cover up you know and uh you know it's uh it's 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 revealing the cover up uh, it it's all so well covered up um yes. and uh you know like i think you've said that there's resistance uh to making changes you're uh, you know, when somebody goes vegan, you say, I believe it's it's like saying, look, I've come to a better place, you know, look, you know, come, you know, and then, and then there's resentment. There's resentment uh, based on moral issues. Somebody wrote me at a radio station uh, where my show was running and said, you know, your, your, your program is dripping with moral superiority. Well, you know, wow. what does that mean? Like, if he continued to listen, he might have to do something. You know, it's like, uh, it's like ignorance is bliss, right? And so um, there's the pain in knowing. Don't you talk about that to a certain degree? The, the burden of knowing? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the burden of knowing what we know, holding that possibility for this brave new world. Mm. Um, absolutely, but, but you the know, burden of knowing—the burden of knowing, though—isn't that that's a burden? To, to it's you know, a huge I mean, burden. Yeah. It's it's mm. like ignorance is bliss. Going into McDonald's and not thinking yes. about the animals, or you know, but you know, like yeah. I think it weighs mm. heavily. Like you talk about psychologically, the burden, the burden of knowing. Yes. So I'm in Safeway, and somebody's buying a gallon of cow's milk, and I'm I'm seeing oh, the baby yeah. calf and the mother and the you know I, I'm seeing mm. a whole different thing from what's going on right there. In That's me. right. It's like living in a different world, isn't it? It is. And uh, funny enough, I was at a festival at the weekend. I overheard a conversation. Someone came and said, well, look, I'm, I'm a meat eater. And they said to this other person, so, you know, what is veganism? And the friend actually said to the vegan, just stop a moment. Show compassion here. 
because at the moment that prop the person is asking you and this is in front of the person asking you're probably happy at the moment <laughs> and we're just about to share information with you that could turn your life upside down because when you know about this you may even resent us you may even resent the fact that you even ask the question because the burden of knowing is so great and i thought that was a very interesting exchange this this with two 18 year olds it was quite extraordinary mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So we're talking to Claire Mann and her new book is Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. Did we define Vistopia? It's a word that you created. So did we actually, did we define it? Have we? I don't think we did actually. And okay. um, so... if I can share that with you, is that okay? Yeah, please. Lovely. Well, the actual word, I was looking for a word and, and, and I share in the book exactly why I did it, because I could see uh, increasing medicalization and pathologizing of, you know, saying this is a terrible thing to be a vegan. They're, they're all paranoid sort of thing. And I wanted to stop the medicalization of it. And ultimately, a drug going with that, of course, to stamp this compassion out of us, which is kind of concerning. Um, but the word sounds very much like utopia or uh, dystopia. And a utopia is a place of joy and freedom and compassion and kindness and abundance and collaboration. And a, a vegan world, you're saying. Um, no, I'm just saying generally. It's no, but I'm saying place. a utopia would be a vegan world. That <laughs> oh, I had to... totally. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, in fact, that's right. It can't even, it's limited, isn't it? The general definition of it. But a dystopia is the opposite. That's like out of Aldous Huck, one of Aldous Huxley's books. You know, it's a world, an imagined world in many ways of darkness and totalitarianism and greed and cruelty and torture. And you know, a lot of the existential writers write about these things. And I believe that vegans are in a vegan dystopia because they've become aware of that darkness, which is much darker than the average person thinks. Um, and so I've defined dystopia as the, the anguish and pain a vegan feels when they learn about the systematized cruelty towards animals in our world. But then they, when they talk to other people about it, this trance-like collusion with a dystopian world. And that's that bigger sort of where we bring Edward Snowden in back in that bigger thing of what else don't I know? And maybe everything you heard isn't isn't the truth. But as you've said, when you see someone buy a, a gallon of milk, all you see is a baby being pulled away from its mother. And the other person just sees that that's what I've always drunk. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. You know, so um, it's uh, and and in many ways we could uh, almost see darkness in just about. Yeah, every every corner we turn, you know, every, everywhere we look, um, if we wanted to, but maybe we should maybe look for some of the positives, like oh, music is good, and hey, vegan food tastes pretty, is is delicious <laughs> and nutritious and wonderful. So you were talking a bit about the medicalization of perhaps then there there are vegans who are suffering from stress or anxiety or depression, and then normally one would say, oh, you're being vegan, you need, you need drugs. Um, and I think you were talking about a couple of things related to uh, both uh, eating disorders and self-harm, which may be misdiagnosed if, uh, if, I was seeing, if I was seeing it correctly in your book. You're absolutely right. Um, in the past probably couple of years, I've seen an increase in GPs sending people to me, not necessarily know I'm vegan, by the way. They obviously don't get on Google and chase and, and look at that. People being sent to me because they have eating disorders, because they won't eat meat or traditional foods. Um, Self-harm, because they're watching films like Earthlings and trying to find out the truth. So 
they're apparently self-harming themselves because they're it's always a form of self-harm because they're exposing themselves to things that cause them pain and also social adjustment disorders so you're questioning the norm this isn't healthy um, it's because you can't fit into society and you're a bit of a agitator or a, a disruptor really now when people get medical terms as a say somebody is diagnosed with these things these are very powerful labels and the individual who has learned not only about the ang the anguish of what they they see these animals go through they then feel alienated against their family particularly younger vegans young children for instance get sent along to the doctor or, or older and then the doctor actually says because they're just doing their job and they don't really understand what veganism is saying that these pe these people have this issue now you can imagine the joy of some of them not realizing i'm vegan <laughs> they have <laughs> when they uh, they come in and say you know you don't understand you know do you know what it happens to these animals and i said well actually i do <laughs> mm. well are you a vegan of course <laughs> mm. um but for many people to have these labels and, and to have the symptoms of anxiety and depression and and hopelessness they can't some of them can't function um if they don't have su real sufficient social support you know there's people in the, in the Midwest of America, for instance, a tiny little town, and a 15-year-old becomes a vegan. They don't know any other vegans. And perhaps dad's in the hunting industry or works in an abattoir. Um, and yet these young people are coming forward. There's this like rising tide of social awareness. Um, and so these mental um, symptoms, I guess, psychological symptoms, are exacerbated because they don't have the social support and, and way to get through this. Mm. Um, so it seems to me that it, it, you could have named Vistopia um, normal um, in the sense that how is one to react um, to an insane world when, you know, I mean, how, how could you not react with some sort of uh, despair, anxiety, depression, sadness when you see the truth? Um, I mean, isn't it? almost normal like wouldn't we be afraid like oh oh they're slitting another animal's throat let's uh, sing a song and dance and, you know I, which is the normal case actually which is yeah which is pretty crazy um not to you know not to use the word crazy but uh, it's a cra but it's like you know it's like the world is crazy and um we are the normal ones so how how Ooh. how would we normally react in a case like that i like this right i mean yes absolutely i think um if people don't if people truly become aware they see what is there um it's very easy for people to hear things and just block it off but when they see something and they see the, you know like a video or something they make that emotional connection if they don't have this response we've really got a problem because um michael clapper actually i interviewed him the, the guy from what the health and he said exactly what you've just said this is a normal and predictable and desirable response of anyone who becomes aware of this if not we've really got a problem mm. and though but we we have hope for the future because things from the you know things that were normal in the past uh, aren't so normal today and in fact I thought um, you had a story in your book the story of the aboriginal baby see this is there was so much variety mm -hmm. in your book you went <laughs> <laughs> to, yes. from Edward Snowden to the story of the aboriginal baby which w what is the point that that makes you want to uh, sure talk about yeah. that a little bit 
Well, that's a story that's in the first chapter. And the first chapter is intended for someone to say, look, I'll give that to my non-vegan mother, friend, partner, priest, doctor, and say, look, just read that chapter, then come back and we'll have a conversation. So it tries to, it attempts to just break that trance a bit. So um, I'm living in Australia and I, I've been here about 18 years. I first come from England. And I remember being on a course with a, a colleague at the time who was about 50 then. So I'm just, we're looking the story that I'm just about to tell you must have happened about the 1930s. But he was explaining to me how his grandfather was telling him um, about a time when um, clearly Aboriginal people and well up to the 1970s did not have the uh, any sense of equality and they were totally disenfranchised and abused in Australia. In fact, we hold the record, I believe, for the, hun the only 100% genocide, which was all Aboriginals were killed in six days on the, um, the state of Tasmania. And so he was saying the thing about his grandfather. His grandfather said, look, well, when we were brought up, Aboriginals were considered to be not human or even sentient, really. He said that um, he remembers a child, a baby being given to him when he was a young boy to play with, like a doll or a teddy bear a young Aboriginal baby. Um, and then when he asked, you know, what happened to that baby at the end of the weekend when they stopped having this baby amuse them, they said, well, it was probably drowned in a bucket, which is quite horrifying to hear, of course. And he asked his grandfather, you know, what was going on? He said, well, he found that personally abhorrent. When he looks back on that, he said, but it was almost normalized. He said it was um, that we con didn't consider them to be human. And so there was this collective belief system at the time, which now we find so abhorrent. Um, we can't even imagine it's possible to, to think like that. Mm. But here's the power of the social collusion and, and trance-like collusion, almost that dumbing down. There was a time when, you know, um, people wouldn't question that women should ever even work, yet alone um, vote or have rights over children or money. That's, you know, someone who was gay should have not even to be questioned. It's just, who does it matter who you love anyway? But now we, we find this shocking, but if we go back in our history. So that chapter is about waking people up to thinking, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Well, imagine at a time before, the people at the time, because of this, this trance-like soup, they didn't even question it. So what are you not questioning? Right. So I look forward to that. the day when when people are saying, "Can you believe they ate meat, dairy, fish, and eggs and honey? Can you believe yes. they these people? Yeah. Oh, what what kind of people were they? You know, I, I'd like that day, like you know, to be well today. Actually, it would be yeah. great if if that were the case. So vegans who come to you um, who have emotional um, challenges, um, it looks like there's. A lot of guilt that people have. Yes. Oh, a huge amount of guilt is um, firstly for being a human being. <laughs> Many of them sort of say, I cannot, I'm so ashamed of my own species. And they often end up hating other humans, which I don't think is a particularly vegan thing to do. Um, Maybe understandable in the short term, but you know, compassion really is um, showing compassion is something we show to people who don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> That's the yeah. ultimate, and, and so we have to think of them as victims too, if we can see them as you know, we do. Absolutely, because we were there. Because we were there too. You're absolutely right. But there's also guilt about how did I eat animals for so long. How did I not ask these questions? Like you, Bob, I, I was a vegetarian for a long time. I actually gave up meat in 1979 because I just read about an abattoir. Um, I just, very visual person, I could still tell you chapter and verse of what happened to that cow on the way to slaughter. Um, 
luckily I was allergic to dairy products, so that came out of my life 20 years later. But often the guilt in the vegan is says, well, I was vegetarian for a long time. How did I not know that a cow has to produce a baby calf to produce milk? I really feel stupid now. And, and then I also feel guilty for being that naive. I'm so what upset else? with myself. For 13 years, I went along thinking, you know, I'm just this pompous, like, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm vegetarian. Now, can I have a cheese omelet, please? You know, and it's like, wow, I, I didn't do anything for those 13 years until I saw the truth, which even was hidden from me even when I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, calling myself a vegetarian. I thought, well, cows have to give milk and chickens lay eggs, and what's the problem? Except, wow, <laughs> what a problem. You know, it's, sure. it's all a problem. So so uh, I, I know that uh, you say that people have trouble forgiving themselves for... Um, they, they have trouble forgiving themselves for eating animals in the past. And so that's uh, that's one that I, I didn't really have. I just thought, like, who was that person? Who was I? You know, it just seems mm. like like such a different person. I'm analyzing myself here to see how I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that was my set that up to do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, tell me, tell me. Yes, I, that was a different person. That was not I, not the I of today. So, um, yeah. So, uh, and then, and then there's also the guilt over not doing enough, and uh, it, it just seems like it's it's so unfortunate that such good people have to endure, you know, the, the problems of living. Uh, in, in, a, in a strange land, the guilt over um, not doing enough, uh, less of an ability to enjoy life, and then a lot of frustration with non-vegans and the anger. You know, it's like, yeah. what, uh, what, what do we do? Exercise, meditate. What, what do we have to? What, what is... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, we, we, it's an opportunity for people. I think we either get to a stage of breakdown or breakthrough. And I think that happens in lots of other areas of life. And um, one, as you were saying that, it just reminded me of something. If I had a dollar for every vegan that's come to me and said, I'm so angry that I know this. You know, I, I've, I'm even denied the right to kill myself. I can't kill myself because I'd leave all these animals behind. I, they've even denied, I can't even get out of this pain. Um, and so I'm stuck. And, and therefore I say, well, if you, you're not going to do that, um, how, are you, how therefore are you going to live? And I think there's different aspects of this is when somebody is able to work through those, that grief, that anger, that, you know, justifiable distress, and they're able to you know, work through increased self-awareness to process all those difficult emotions within them, to then start looking after their health and their wellness and, and putting some stability and, and self-care into their life and not beat themselves up, is when they do that is, is then I think people have to match it with a level of what I call exquisite linguistic mastery <laughs> because we've got to be the best salespeople and the best communicators to engage people at an emotional level so that they lean forward and say, tell me more. But we can't use all the tricks and the trades to you know, convince people and, and get people asking questions of us and exploring and partnering with people until we have worked out our own stuff. And if we are... And I think this is where neuroscience is also catching up a little bit to, with common sense is if we're angry and resentful all the time, or actually our blood flows to a different part of the brain. It's it's right at the back of the brain, the more survival brain, fight or flight, um, very self-centered, angry, not able to take other people's opinions, not able to sit with differences and emotion. 
when we um, are more relaxed and confident and, and take a level of self-care, our blood actually gravitates to the front of the brain and we feel more confident. So you and I are talking at the moment, we're like very likely to be very much in the front of the brain. We're able to take other opinions and points of view. But when we, if we're highly distressed and anxious and angry with the world, we are reacting and fighting and flighting. Whereas if we're at the front, we can be more collaborative. So I think vegans have to learn to process that grief, have a level of self-care physically, emotionally, through exercise, through connecting with other people, through meditation, yoga, and they have to regularly keep their blood at the front of the brain and keep their keep the happy hormones in their body, the hope and the trust and the belief of this great new world and not the sort of um, adrenaline and cortisol which keeps them in another part. When they're able to do that, they're able to also use the tools and techniques in a collaborative way, bring people into a conversation that gets them saying, you know, tell me more. I mean, as awful as it is, uh, we've been given an important job here. I mean, look, look what uh, what we have to do. Of course, I I would prefer that we'd only have to convince, you know, five percent of the population instead of ninety five percent of the population. But okay, uh, we ah. have a, we have an important job, and so uh, you know. And, but and... ah, but maybe I could help us out there because actually, this is the exciting thing. <laughs> if we had to change ninety five percent, Bob, wouldn't it be a challenge? If we had to wake everybody up to consciousness, that go, oh my gosh, I really get this. Um, that's going to be a difficult task, and it certainly is not going to happen fast enough for you and I. If we look at all social change, there seems to be a point at which we reach a tipping point. Or even in, let's just look at consumer behavior. Let's look at the mobile phone industry. It seems to be the purchasing and use of mobile phones is evenly distributed. So the early innovators, the people that said to you and I 20 years ago, I'm going to get into mobile phones, and they were probably told, well, I'll never take off. You know, people don't want that sort of intrusion in their lives. Look at what's happening now. Everybody has three mobile phones, and this amulet of slavery is, you know, in their pocket all the time. Um, somebody who said that 20 years ago, they were what is known as the early the innovators, and it constitutes about 2.5% of the population. Then, as we move on and people go, oh, well, maybe mobile phones are quite convenient. It's another 13.5% of what we call the early majority. And then when those two groups together reach what we call the, like a tipping point, it's about 16%. We then get this massive increase over 30% of the early majority, another 30 plus percent of the late majority. I can't quite recall what the next little group is, but the last group is about 7% called the laggards. So they're the people like Granny who says, if I don't get a mobile phone, I can't get hold of my grandson. So she buys a mobile phone. These things are evenly distributed. So in theory, we're in the innovator stage. Once we reach about 2.5%, there's going to be a lot of early adopters. Once we reach 16%, a lot of people are going to follow. And I use the analogy of the recycling bins. I don't know what it is where in your part of the world, but we have yellow bins here that are, everybody puts their recycling in them as to whether it truly gets recycled. There's another part of our trance-like collusion. As long but as we feel good about it, that's okay. As long as we feel good about it, that's right. And we, uh, as long as we've got a profit motive there, of course, and um, it's does it make money for me or is it cost-effective as opposed to a social responsibility? People are, you know, say it's too expensive. Damn the planet, you know, it's, I think well, there's certain things we need to collaboratively work on, but I say to people, everyone that puts their recycling in that yellow bin is not an environmentalist. But if you ask them why they do it, they say, well, everybody does it. 
And so this is the good news. So I like to inspire vegans to say as hard as this is, we're the early responders, we're the whistleblowers, and like all movers and shakers over time of consciousness, they're they, they first, as Gandhi said, first they get ignored, then they get laughed at, then they get resisted and fought at, but then we win. So let's move towards, fastly moving towards the 2.5. We're seeing an exponential growth in veganism at the moment. And so, it's in so, our so what do we need, 16% to make things really happening? Was that the uh, initial? Absolutely, 16%. So, so uh, right. re report buyer in the UK, uh, and I, I believe whatever survey I... I, I <laughs> I want to believe. Um, a report buyer says that 6% of Americans now identify as vegan, up from 1% in 2014. So wow. up to 6%, that could mean, that could mean, what, 18 million, 15, 12, even 12 million. Yeah. You know, we're, we're more than a lot of countries in the world, right? And and then in the UK, the numbers are skyrocketing. So it's uh, it, it's really happening. I mean, people are, are interested in it. I usually have a vegan T-shirt or cap on. People always want to talk to me about it. Um, and so there's uh, there's definite interest. And I guess whatever era we are in which we live, um, it seems like it's catching on with millennials. Millennials yeah. seem to be so mm -hmm. in whatever. I don't know if that's the era of respect or the era of, you know, finding the truth or. Oh, there was something <laughs> I, I uh, wanted to mention earlier when you were talking about um, vegans being diagnosed and then uh, medicated. And you, you talked about self-harm and it's looked at it's looked at that vegans are harming themselves by perhaps looking at uh um, graphic videos or whatever that might be. The other thing that I thought you mentioned, which I thought was inter pretty interesting, was uh, in terms of eating disorders. And is it possible that the eating disorders are that vegans don't want to eat with people who are eating non-vegan foods? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. No, because they're told they're firstly, they burst into tears at the dinner table when the family roast comes along or they can't believe mum, you know, says she's vegan or she's trying to be vegan in front of you. But then she puts milk in her coffee and says, well, no one's watching. <laughs> and then the anguish of the person is much greater. But yes, I think it, it is that it's not to do generally with a, a general eating disorder. That's not to say that vegans don't get all the challenges that everyone else does. I always say to people is vegans are no different than anyone else at a baseline level they have all the no we have all the normal challenges of relationships and life and what shall i do with my life and you know do i like the body i'm in um can i pay afford to pay my bills you know what is my life really all about and then you add dystopia on the top and it just like skyrockets but so people a vegan could have an eating disorder of course because there's lots of other factors that contribute to how they make sense of their world what is interesting um, bob is over time i've seen greater suicidality in a non-vegan um, population than in a vegan one. People feel suicidal. I felt suicidal. But it isn't something that is acted upon or in the same level. It, it, there isn't that red flag for me that says this person's going to act on it. They almost say, if I killed myself, that would show people how bad it was. But I can't because how selfish could I be? I, I am now the eyes and ears and voice for these animals if I opt out what a carrot am I so it's interesting though it's I would have thought I would have seen you would see more suicides in the vegan community but I certainly haven't seen it mm. uh, nor uh, 
does there seem to be much violence although recently there was a vegan shooter i don't know if you heard about that at uh, yahoo yes. in northern <laughs> california so um it was uh, green nasim and uh she um she had made vegan videos i thought some of them looked pretty creative but then she was complaining that uh, uh veganism was being censored from the internet and from youtube uh she was upset that she received a 10 cent payment for uh 300,000 uh, viewers for a video but uh you don't expect the vegans to pick up the guns, you know that that one was. No, that's uh, right. That one. Mm. That, what what would we make of that? That's the aberration, the one in seven billion that would happen like that because. Mm -hmm. it's, we're, sure. I think that we're nonviolent, and once we get violent, we're not really the yeah. vegans anymore. So. No, I think you're absolutely right. But isn't it interesting how the media bring that out and say, "Oh my gosh, it was a vegan." It's almost like that story of, you know, the plant-powered vegan person who went to Everest and they collapsed. Well, there you go. The vegan diet doesn't work. Well, how many non-vegans have, right. have actually? Oh, we see it in the papers with children, for instance. Um, and we say, oh, gosh, a family are bringing their child up is vegan. Oh, look at them. This child's got this sudden illness. And, and we look around our society and say, well, how's the non-vegan work, diet working for you guys? Because right. <laughs> um but I think you're absolutely right about the non-violence. That person would have had, it got to their wit's end. But to blame veganism for that would be a, a bit of a crazy thing. Right. But I think that person... Finally, the, the, the NRA is for gun control. We The vegans are getting <laughs> guns. We can't allow this. Okay, gun control. We'll go for it now. That's so, right. Vegans with guns. Don't take the rights guns, of... The, right. yeah, the gun, don't take gun rights away from vegans. That's, that's <laughs> so... Such a, such a bizarre world, right? I mean, they're, that, yeah. that's... There you go. The, uh, the word is more uh, powerful than the sword. <laughs> <laughs> really? So, well, I think we're almost out of time. Was there anything, Claire, that you wanted to mention that we haven't discussed here? We're talking to Claire Mann, and her book is Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World, and How Could You Not Be? Um, and uh, so anything we've missed or you wanted to uh, discuss? Well, I think, firstly, to thank people for coming vegan, you know, um, be grateful that you've become a vegan, that you came into this awareness with all its challenges. Isn't it amazing to be at this time in our history when we are holding a vision of a much better world? It's almost the last bastion or one of the major last bastions of privilege, which is speciesism. And I, I think we're at a time, we're really ready for a paradigm shift of a peaceful world. And we have the world we have, and it's we've slid into it. Doesn't mean that's how it can be for all time. So work through your anguish. Be around people that are championing the cause. You know, ch don't start bullying other people and go into the abolitionist and welfareist argument. You know, you just put your views there, but don't attack all attempts to, to move us towards that tipping point. And don't feel you've got to be on the world stage. Don't feel you've got to be in the streets with activism. What is your form of activism that is adding to this collective tipping point of this vegan world? And and I believe, Bob, we will see a vegan world in our time. It's very possible. It's in the collective unconscious. So there's a way through your dystopia to become an incredibly powerful voice for animals, people, and the planet. Hang on in there. <laughs> uh, well, uh, something you mentioned there, though, is uh, actually I, I feel that I'm quite involved with the... Um 
with the abolitionist uh, welfare argument itself. Um, and I, I, to a degree, feel that uh, I feel frustration that I have, I have seen the truth of the infiltration of the animal rights movement uh, with campaigns that do nothing but benefit industry. So, you know, when I see a cage-free egg campaign, I, I that this is one of the things that causes me great anguish and despair and depression. Here in California, there's um, a resolution called uh, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, which is promoting cage-free eggs, meaning, of course, every male chick is going to be ground alive, every female mm -hmm. will be uh, tortured, mutilated, imprisoned, and murdered, and yet that's the campaign of yeah. the animal rights movement and and it's actually uh mm -hmm. going to put into law the handbook of united egg producers so um i think that um we're uh, I, I think that uh, there, there are some obstacles being put up by by campaigns that are are really harmful so when, whenever mm -hmm. i see anybody supporting cage-free eggs um I, I have to cross them off my list uh, uh my uh, my holiday giving list because they're not a peep about the real mm -hmm. conditions that happen that they're, they're not even saying oh this this is you know it's still terrible it's better than mm -hmm. the other alternative which i don't believe it is better than the other no. alternative necessarily so i i find that uh, that's something that's frustrating and then we have have vegans or animal rights people who then are not willing to listen the way people who are not willing to listen about being vegan are not willing to listen and yes. uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finding that uh, very frustrating and, and an obstacle to veganism which you know yeah. I'm, I'm looking at Animals Australia and it, it's horrible the the um, live export you know it's it's horrible but what are we campaigning for when we're saying like this this is terrible let's kill them all right here you know what i mean it's like yeah. let's slash their throats right here and we'll all be sure. happy that's that's not an animal rights victory so why isn't there something that i see along with that that says you know going vegan removes us from all of this animal yes. exploitation mm. you know so um... well i think it's an interesting one that one because I think anyone who's in this awareness is 150% abolitionist in their heart. You know, none of this, no, there's zero tolerance for this. I think some of the large animal groups um, are working with, you know, the difficulty of social change. And they're very, very strategic. Getting someone who's out there hunting at the weekend or eating steak every night, which is a large part of what Australian culture is as well as American, is getting them to go right over here in the plant base. A small proportion of people will do that. You and I, Bob, were those people when we came into that awareness. Is other people, it would seem, will be the followers. So I guess what's happening in the live export trade is a horrific situation is in theory, yes, we're saying, well, no, we, we kill them better over here. But I think what's happening here is is ensuring that you're trying to change the law to an extent that it gets on the statute books. Then it becomes something worthy of discussion. At the moment, it's not even there. It's not even um, this has all been behind closed doors for 50 years. Bringing it into the public eye and some people are going to say that's absolutely dreadful as they sit down to their burger at night, but they won't go along with that. So in many ways, it's like a chink of consciousness, I think. What I do think is that we, as a bigger proportion of us, hold this possibility of this absolutely peaceful, compassionate, abolitionist world. There's going to be a faster movement through these stages. Um, 
But yeah. I don't think I, I don't. Moment, I don't like the detours. I, I, I don't like the, the detours. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, legislation has turned out to be a detour. We've had yes. uh, legislation yeah. here banning foie gras. So, mm-hmm. you know, nobody enforces it. So restaurants don't want, they can't sell foie gras. They'll give it away for free with a twenty dollar cracker, um, and wow. then it, and then it gets yeah. uh, overturned anyway. You know, so it's like, know. you know, so mm-hmm. so I'm I'm feeling lately that. Really, the uh, the vegan is the thing, you know, and 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 it's you know it it needs to be a message that goes along with everything. Of course, you know the live export is so horrible. I need to see a vegan message along with that, though. You know, I need to see yes. a vegan message along with everything out there because that that is the solution. We we sure. have a group here that's very vague in its sloganeering, um, direct action everywhere. Mm-hmm. They do all sorts of actions. They get a lot of attention everywhere. Their slogan is something like, uh, until every animal is free. Um, that's not telling anybody to do anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes. great, you got on TV. You, you, you disrupted a Hillary Clinton uh, speech. Uh, Tell somebody to do th- something that'll actually help animals. So there you go. Psycholog- psychologize <laughs> me on that. <laughs> well, it, very quickly, I know we're at the end of the show there, but if we go on to places like Animals Australia, you know, they do have a vegan message. They have a vegan cookbook. They, But when they're dealing with as you know, the big the cattle farmers and the great big lobby groups, they're if they show any chink of, you know, being a greenie, um, which I'm sure they all they're definitely all <laughs> definitely all vegan, is they would be they wouldn't even get on the media because the media as we know in many cases in the hands of the pockets of these places because because they pay such high advertising. So getting in front of the public, pulling at the heartstrings, changing the consumer's habit, then actually paves the way to say, right, here it is. But certainly on the website and in a lot of them, but the cage theory thing, I agree with you, is that's not acceptable. Well, I, did, I didn't see I didn't see a vegan you know? message on Animals Australia, but I did see uh, the cage free egg campaign um, yeah. being uh, glorified, and it's uh, not a word on behalf of the 100% of the animals who are being killed. You know, it's like they're all getting killed. Nobody's getting out alive, and this is an animal rights campaign and a victory. Um, it it just doesn't seem right. So to me, it's uh, it's betrayal it's uh infiltration of the animal rights movement it's it's all the things it's like where's edward snowden just to say what's wrong with you this is betrayal and infiltration of your movement how how can you be for cage-free eggs or uh furnished battery cages or proposition two or uh pasture raised grass fed you know all of these things that are you know i know I absolutely, I'm there with you, Bob, and I think it's um, that's the lovely. I'm just, as you were saying that, I think there's a great opportunity for the direct action and the anonymous for the voiceless and you and I to step up and change, change, say these things as a solution. But I guess the opposition, so to speak, the non-vegan world is really looking for the fights in, in fighting. Well, and let, 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 say, let oh, them let them disarray. fight. Let them fight us. Honestly, let let them fight who we honestly are. Then, I mean, um, Wayne uh, Shun of uh, Direct Action Everywhere said that he met with uh, somebody over at the Humane Society of the United States, Josh Balk, and Josh Balk said that they're engaged in strategic communication, meaning that they're not truthful to the public in in what they're doing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we we need to honestly be who we are and if we are for vegan well 
we're, we're, we're for vegan for a reason. So, you know, if you want to complain yes. about us, um, if you want to look at the truth of climate change and global warming, the studies say that animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, as well as deforestation and water usage and uh, resource depletion. So, um, so what if we are green? So what if we're for the animals? That's who we are. So let's... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, this is part of the dystopia, isn't it? It's actually the angst even within the movement so to speak. Oh, and, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 <laughs> and the angst the angst for me is saying that I don't even think I'm in that movement. Like why am I considered in that movement? If somebody's for cage free eggs, why are you putting me in that movement? Why yes. why are you saying vegans and vegetarians, like putting us together when you should be saying meat eaters and vegetarians you know that's one category vegans are not you know so this is my dystopian angst over over <laughs> and the thing is you're speaking out about i think the thing more we're adding to this thing called you know awareness for people um and the more we bring that into the awareness is is absolutely is right i mean it's the um the cage-free egg you know i mean it's like saying well i'll take a girl out for a beautiful dinner take her out dancing whining dining her and she's raped at the end of the evening i mean it's no different it's um and so we know this so there's no way to make it all okay it's i see that everything is i always say a rising tide raises all boats so we're in this sort of thing called this soup called life and gosh we're all trying to make sense of how do we ever get here in the first place really I think we <laughs> do you have the, if you can have some of those answers wait i we can extend the show a little longer if you can come up with some of those answers like how did we get here what's the meaning of life? You know, <laughs> what's the square root of two and yeah, and there's on. no shortage of people telling us what it's all about. I'm right, everybody seems to know. So I just <laughs> want to know who the right person is to believe when it happens. Or it, w it would have to be somebody saying be vegan. So apparently it is I. I need to listen to myself. I, you know, I've had people, you know, stop me in the street with all sorts of philosophies or whatever, and I say, well, are you vegan? No. Well, then I don't think you have anything to to say right now. You know. So. It reminds me of a friend recently had a Jehovah's Witness and um, popped at the door and they knocked on the door and they opened up. She opened up the door and they said, I've got some fantastic news for you. She said, the world's gone vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they had a very interesting discussion. <laughs> oh, I, I have interesting discussions with Jehovah Witnesses. So, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how few people. Um, who are biblically oriented have seen Genesis book 1 verse 29 uh, God's first commandment that says be vegan uh, I don't know it seems like uh, convenient to skip over the beginning of the Bible but kill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so thou shalt not kill and all of that so uh, there we go right. well thank you for everything you're doing in the world because you know you are a powerful voice you've been around a long time and it's and i think you you and i are going to see some massive change soon because it is reaching that sort of uh, crescendo when people are confused it's not sustainable how people are living mm. we, we are seeing it i mean nobody could nobody even knew how to pronounce vegan when i started my radio show 17 years ago it was like what is a vegan what are you vegan you know so at least <laughs> people people know the word now and yeah it's it's the way to be and people are realizing that so we just need to keep on pushing and we'll be hitting uh, the tipping point soon absolutely okay <laughs> thank you so we've been talking to claire mann and her book is vistopia the anguish of being vegan in a non-vegan world i i guess you heard it from me here today right so i'm i'm an example of <laughs> that anguish <laughs> um oh and so how can people get it and your website should i uh sure 
for. It's um, well, as a fellow Vistopian, you and I both of those. It's um, it's Vistopia.com. Um, that's where people can hear all about this. If people scroll right to the bottom, on the 17th of May 2018, we are doing a li- a book launch in Sydney, Australia, and it's going to be live streamed. And people can either come live to that, or if they register there, we'll um, send them a recording. V y s t o p i a. Vistopia.com. Vistopia.com. Thank you, Claire. Great talking to you today. You too. Thank you very much. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. It's almost like I, I can't I can't remember all all the websites and everything at this point. Radio B O B B Y dot com. Radio Bobby for your twenty four seven musical entertainment. And now L A Reggae Vegan Fest tickets are on sale now for the music event of a lifetime. Coming Sunday, October 7th at Woodley Park in Van Nuys. Go to L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest right this very moment. And you can buy tickets and explore vendor opportunities, sponsorship opportunities. And, uh, yeah, check it out. An amazing lineup of, uh, of reggae artists, too. So uh, a spectacular vegan event coming your way from... Go Vegan Radio, 501c3 nonprofit. We appreciate your tax-deductible donations to help us continue with our work in the media with this talk show, which started back in the year 2001. And uh, this is the very first vegan show ever in mainstream media. We started uh, back in 2001 on KRLA in Los Angeles. And since have been on radio stations all around the country, um, including the Air America Radio Network, GCN. And now we do a weekly uh, podcast uh, when, we, when we do it every week. Um, and there are over 600 programs available for you to hear at GoVeganRadio.com, where you can make a tax-deductible donation, or you can support us through Patreon. So uh, earlier, uh, we talked about the uh, beloved uh, McDonald's and dairy and uh, health. And I see that uh, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uh, is uh, saying that it's, it's irresponsible for the U.S. government to partner with McDonald's to increase the amount of dairy products used in meals at 14,000 locations Uh, This beginning on April 2nd, uh, it says new research shows that just one high-fat meal containing dairy triggers bodily responses that may lead to heart disease. Oh, is that worth repeating? Okay. New research shows that just one high-fat meal containing dairy triggers bodily responses that may lead to heart disease. 
scientists working for Dairy Management Incorporated, DMI, a corporation overseen by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, worked on-site at McDonald's headquarters to develop products that use more dairy. Uh, McDonald's signature crafted recipe sandwiches and the Egg White Delight McMuffin, make me barf, will now feature cheddar cheese slices that are more than 30% larger than the version previously used. The chain will also offer three new McCafe turtle coffee beverages, uh, joining a McCafe lineup that offers dairy in 90% of its items. I'm not loving that. Uh, I'm not loving that the USDA is working with McDonald's to push 30% more cheese on unsuspecting consumers. Quote, says Physicians Committee President Neil Barnard, MD, author of The Cheese Trap. Cheese is the number one source of saturated fat in the American diet, which contributes to America's number one killer, heart disease. Wow. And earlier, if I were listening to myself on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, I quoted the China study saying that dairy is the number one source of, uh, it's the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. So, uh, mom, mama, mama, mama mia. Okay. Oh, maybe I'll click on this here. It said uh, one high fat meal containing dairy. Let's just see. See if it uh, does that show the study. Okay, it says a single high-fat meal increases risk for heart disease. A single high-fat meal. Ah, um, it says high-fat meals trigger bodily responses that may lead to heart disease, according to a study published in Laboratory Investigation. Researchers compared blood. Uh, blood labs and blood cells in 10 healthy men before and after each consumed one high-fat milkshake. The milkshake significantly increased total cholesterol, uh, triglycerides, and fatty acid levels four hours after consumption. Researchers also observed changes in red blood cell structure and increases or increased RBC bound uh, myeloperoxidase. Let's just call it MPO, an enzyme associated with oxidative stress and arterial plaque destabilization. These findings are similar to those from other studies over the years. All right, I, I won't click on the other studies over the years right now, but uh, wow, you get it here on the most important radio program in all of media. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden because you hear Stuff just like that. Stuff just like that. Um, for what, 17 years now? And you wonder, now you wonder why vegans are getting special low rates on life insurance. Is it any wonder, after you listen to this show and you hear 
stuff like that stuff like that there's a great vegan restaurant called stuff I eat in Englewood no stuff like that that's that strange sound just now was nothing no bodily function okay so health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people like runners cyclists weightlifters strength trainers yoga practitioners and yes vegans because vegans don't consume that milkshake vegans don't consume that one high fat dairy meal that has that kind of effect huh health iq can save consumers customers up to 33 percent on life insurance health iq is the fastest growing life insurance company now with over five billion in coverage and uh I don't know. When was the last time I was excited about life insurance? Never. But um, this is a must for vegans with family responsibilities. And uh, it will uh, save you money. Okay. It's uh, lower rates for vegans like good driver savings, you know, on auto insurance. So go to healthiq.com slash gvr healthiq.com slash gvr as in go vegan radio take the health iq vegan quiz when you're there tell them bobby sent you okay um i want to thank eric weissman he's uh he's going to be one of the speakers at la reggae vegan fest uh get your tickets now la reggae vegan fest.com He'll be one of the speakers there that day, Sunday, October 7th, at Woodley Park in Van Nuys. He is the creator of Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food. And I want to thank Eric Weissman for signing up as the first premium sponsor of L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest. You can, too. Just go to the website and check around the vendor opportunities and the spectacular sponsorships offered uh, associated with LA Reggae Vegan Fest. Um, So uh, with Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food, you get 20% off dry food if you phone in your order on the first Wednesday of the month. 10% off canned food. The phone number is 800-659-0104. And Eric is adding a lot more uh, beet pulp and cranberry now to uh, uh, the dry food, um, uh, which is being shown to be very, uh, very, very, uh, actually very uh, beneficial um, for uh, urinary tract health. Again, that phone number is 800 25% off your first order if you're a new customer. So uh, we have a children's program at L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest, uh, 10.30 in the morning, Sunday, October 7th, with Jamaica Bob. And the first 100 children who arrive will get a free coloring page designed by Victoria Hart, vegan artist, very talented vegan artist who has helped us uh, with our logo for LA Reggae Vegan Fest and uh, past artwork for which we are greatly appreciative. I suggest you go to Victoria 
h-a-r-t.weebly.com, victoriahart.weebly.com, and see her fantastic work. Perhaps you would like her to do an animal portrait, the uh, beloved animals in your life, the companion animals. Um, she can do uh, realistic portraits. Uh, she can create a, a coloring page or a coloring book. You can also go to mylifecoloringbook.weebly.com and uh, all of all of uh, Victoria's work would make great gifts for any occasion. So check it out. If you want to support a hot and sexy vegan fashion line, go to sonusdenim.com. Sonus, that's uh, as in... Uh, S is in strawberry, O is in onion, N is in nut, A is in apple, S is in strawberry. Sonusdenim.com. Um, so uh, jeans are made with uh, 50 patches of denim right here in sunny, drought-stricken, uh, wildfire-raged California. Uh, great denim for men and women. Yoga pants, too. A unique design. Check it out at sonusdenim.com, S-O-N-A-S. And uh, you are invited to support um, an animal rescue in the making. Go to possumswelcome.com, possumswelcome. No, possumswelcome.org. Okay. So, okay, well, I think that just about does it for today's program. I must... Go back to listening to Radio Bobby right now, radio b o b b y dot com, for uh, my uh, for my mental health uh, because I suffer from uh, dystopia. Um, but I will distract myself, uh, continuing to work on L.A. Reggae Vegan Fest to make sure that it is the event of a lifetime for you. Please check out the website. Tickets are on sale right now. It's an amazing lineup of reggae artists um, who uh, will be performing that day after Jamaica Bob with the children's show in the morning. Uh, we have the Simpkin Project, followed by Lamore and the Mystic Band featuring General Ja Mikey and Sister Carol and um, Bushman and Maccabee and Glenn Washington. And it's a totally vegan event. We're going to have a great time. Bring the kids. Kids 12 and under are free. All the information is at LAReggaeVeganFest.com. And also for um, over 600 archive programs and to support us with a tax-deductible donation or to support us through Patreon, please go to GoVeganRadio.com. Thanks to Andrew Sutton for the audio support he gives us every week with this program. And thanks to Ben Brayman for, uh, for constructing a beautiful website that is LA Reggae Vegan Fest.com.